Hello and welcome to another episode of the journal series of In Common Podcast. In each episode of this series, we discuss on a recently published work within our Commons community. We invite the author, and together with them, we explore the efforts and experiences that went into developing the paper as we see it today. We are bringing to you behind-the-scenes stories from the author itself. I'm your host, Sivi Chavla, and today I welcome Dane Vitakar, who is a PhD student at School of Sustainability, Arizona State University, USA. Dane has recently published a paper with Alice Crippen, Corinne Johnson, and Marco A. Janssen in the International Journal of Commons, where they discuss the theories of social ecological fit in the context of Wisconsin Lake social ecological systems. Their paper titled Social Ecological Institutional Fit in Volunteer-Based Organizations, a study of lake management organizations in Vilas County, Wisconsin, USA, explores the concept of Lenostrom's design principles and sustainability in non-traditional settings of volunteer-based organizations. Let's first welcome Dane and know more about the paper and them. Hi, Dane. Hi. How are you today? Great, and thank you for having me here. And thanks for um, dealing with the mouthful. That is the title of that paper. I didn't realize how long it is when you say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, these things sound differently when you talk about it than when you read, and that's why you are here. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for your time. Before I delve into the paper, first know about you then and what motivated you to join the research in the commons? It's a bit of a, a roundabout story for me. So I started in graduate school in 2018, um, so about four years ago at this point. I joined Arizona State University studying in the School of Sustainability. Um, and for me, this has been kind of a path of figuring out what am I interested in? Where do I want to spent or where do I want to invest my energy over time? What kind of conversations do I have, want to have? Who are the people I want to be around? And so reflecting on that, I think one of the things that's led me here is I grew up in Texas um, where I used to play outside year round. I grew up camping, building forts. We had a garden in the backyard. So my life was full of discovery and creativity and dirt. And so I think this was really what motivated me to go back to grad school. I had been, or to go to grad school, I had been working in the tech industry for eight years, sitting behind a computer, feeling very disconnected from those things that brought me a lot of joy. And so I came into the program or I came in to the commons field, wanting to spend more time outside, being passionate about ecology, um, knowing that I love to learn new things. And so I didn't really know what this looked like as a field of study. I, my background is in marketing and French, so I had no idea what my options were. But luckily, I got in touch with Marco, uh, who's my advisor. Jacopo introduced me to him. And that's how I became introduced to collective action problems, Eleanor Ostrom's work. At the time that I was applying to grad school and speaking with Marco, I was interning at a coastal dry forest preserve in Ecuador. And while I was there, I was surrounded by agroforestry. I was working in forests. I was working with farmers and ranchers. 
And so when he started talking about these ideas of resource users having a deep understanding of the land and the ecology and their position in it, as well as the best ways to govern those, those resources or those ecologies, it just clicked and it made sense. And so he introduced me to the project that we're going to discuss today. I'm super grateful for that. And this project, I think, really is what has kept me in graduate school and focusing on the commons, getting to work together with freshwater ecologists and economists and social scientists to think about these questions of lake and watershed governance and how do people and governance systems adapt to changes in their landscapes and how do you design institutions um, or how do institutions emerge that, that match the conditions of a particular landscape and group of people and set of problems. So that's kind of how I've gotten here, kind of roundabout way. And I, I'm grateful to be here and learned a lot through it. And I'm excited to keep learning. Definitely, it's a fascinating story. And I understand you moved from marketing and French background to sustainability and commerce background. It must have been a deep learning curve in certain ways. I must say welcome to the outdoors. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you also said that this, this paper is part of your PhD. So can we know more about like where does it exist in the entire PhD? Yeah, so this was a NSF-funded couple natural human systems grant. And the overall project was, the, the overall research question is, what, what are the dynamics of recreational fishery landscapes and how do people make decisions about where to fish and how much to fish and uh, how to contribute to governance of these recreational fishery landscapes. And so I came onto that project as a master's student and this research is one of the streams of, of work. There are about seven or eight different streams of work within this project. And this was one of them with the idea that through studying the organizations that manage and govern these lakes, uh, we could learn about how decisions are made about who has access, who doesn't have access, how much, how many, how much resources to invest in, in provisioning the, the infrastructure. So in this case, the infrastructure is the lake or the fish and monitoring of monitoring of the lakes to see if there are new invasive species being introduced and whatnot. And so by understanding some of those decisions, some of those dynamics, we could introduce those into a synthesis model, which also takes into account fish population dynamics, which also takes into account angler preference and choice in where they fish. And so I guess as a in relation to my PhD work, this paper was built off of my master's thesis. And through doing these interviews, it opened up a lot of new questions that now I'm pursuing in my dissertation research. Thank you for putting it in the perspective where it comes from. And it's very interesting to see here we are focusing on recreational fisheries instead of traditional commons research where the focus was on the resources, where resource users were comparatively more dependent on the resource for their livelihoods. And there we mm -hmm. come to the idea of volunteer-based organizations. 
I and also understand that it's very different. Like what we were discussing previously, it's not something that has been researched a lot along in context of commons research or in context of the design principles. So what were the challenges that you faced? For example, I would say, what were the, what were the difference in these volunteer-based organizations in terms of, say, collective action or maybe collective action dilemma or anything else? Totally. So this, again, is something that I've struggled with a lot, is understanding how this these organizations fit into the scholarship on the commons and common pool resources. And the reason that this has been a challenge is lakes in Wisconsin are public domain. They're managed by the state, by a state agency under the public trust doctrine. So for the benefit and use of all people within the state. And then if you think about management and conservation of lakes, a lot of the actions that need to be taken are taken by individuals on private property. So things like buffer zones around the lake, choices around whether to use fertilizer or not, um, cleaning your boat before launching it into a new lake so that if there's any invasive species on it, those don't move into that lake as well. All of those have to do with individual action um, related to private property. So I guess instead of thinking about this research as commons research or maybe common pool resource governance. I've thought about this as institutional analysis and the study of how people work together to solve collective action problems. And I think that the tools that Eleanor Ostrom and uh, colleagues and this tradition um, have developed are useful for answering those questions just as much as they are for answering questions of common pool resources. And I think we see that, or we did see that in, in this research. So the same types of collective action problems that are challenges for common pool resources are also challenges for these lakes. So things about provisioning challenges, who's going to monitor the boat ramp to check if people are bringing invasive species into the lake. Uh, who's going to show up at volunteer days? Um, who's willing to uh, Who's willing to enforce the rules uh, that that are um, set by the township or the lake or the state? And so, a lot of similar challenges that you see in common pool resource governance also show up here. Um, as well as appropriation. So how the lakes are being used and the fact that like a single person can affect the health of the ecosystem for everyone and everything is, is an example of appropriation challenges that we also see in common pool resource. So I think there's a lot of similarities there where the differences come in is because that there is no reliance on lakes and the fish in them for people's livelihoods, for the most part, there are some people who um, subsistence fish in these lakes. But for the most part, these organizations are comprised of people who are secondary homeowners, who are wealthy, who are using the lakes for recreation and kind of uses around that. So there is no livelihood reliance. So these organizations have to invest a lot in building social capital. So they have things like annual barbecues, boat parades, water skiing competitions, 
even like board members going to new residents' houses and welcoming them and saying, this is the importance of being respectful in the way that we uh, share the lake with others, both people, animals, plants. And we would love for you to get involved in this organization and here's the work that we do and here's how you can get involved. So the cost of this, building this social capital, investing this time in getting people to understand the value of the lake is something that's often borne by just a couple of people. And often they're doing it for five years, a decade, because no one else is stepping up to volunteer. So I think the, the biggest difference that I saw is because people aren't relying on this for their livelihoods, the motivation has to come from somewhere else to get people to be involved and to contribute and to consider the long-term sustainability of these lakes. That is very important, actually. And also, if I say in terms of the design principles, you're kind of extending the design principles from the traditional settings to new settings of, of volunteer-based organizations. Also in paper, you have also mentioned that you have talked to many people around it. Like, yeah, and that's kind of also the methodology that you adopted for this to collect the data, which included the semi-structured interviews and all. So what I, I'll come to methodology now and asking that I would like to know more about when you go and talk to these people or when you develop these kind of interview questions, what are the challenges you face here? Especially because when you say that there are not many people who are motivated to do it, or there are some, there are people who are a small group of people who are continuously been doing this job for five to 10 years. So mm. what are the challenges you face on the ground when you are preparing and interviewing the people involved in the in these organizations? Yeah, so there's a lot and some of them aren't specific to qualitative research. I think there's general challenges with research. And I think for me, they're top of mind, especially in qualitative research where you're talking to people and asking them questions. And I think the what I'm thinking of here is you wanna design research that helps you contribute to theory and answer questions that help advance our overall understanding of resource governance, sustainability, social ecological systems. But then you also wanna contribute something to these people that is also useful for them and can be practical. So I think finding the balance between how to ask questions that advance theory and that are useful in practical day-to-day -day lake management has been a big challenge. And, and part of that manifests in how you ask the questions around the design principles. So what we were doing as a team was kind of asking questions that would uncover stories that help us understand whether or not there's easy to access conflict resolution mechanisms, or if someone breaks a rule on the lake, whether they're being sanctioned, and if it is a sanctioning, are there graduated levels? Does it um, increase in severity over time if they continue to break it? And is it kind of also not so severe at the beginning that people can learn and kind of adapt to the rules around the lake? So a challenge is asking these questions in a way that gives you consistent comparable data. I use comparative analysis in my research. And in this case, we're comparing, we're trying to elicit 
structured data that we can use to compare 31 organizations and make some statement about configurations of rules, biophysical conditions, and attributes of the community in order to, in relation to certain outcomes, in order to say something about what are, what are kind of the sets of conditions that can lead to the outcomes that, that people state. And so I think for me, the, a lot of the challenges come around asking specific enough questions that also are understandable by people. When it came to thinking about how to interpret and analyze this data, we also realized that the initial plan, so I talked about this being a project that includes people from a variety of disciplines that are working on various streams of data collection. So the initial plan was I would collect information about the lake organizations. There was a team who was doing electrofishing fishing and lake kind of uh, lake chemistry data collection. So they would be able to say things about the fish population, the conductance, the dissolved organic content. Um, there was another team who was interviewing anglers and asking them questions about angler preference. And then we were also interested in things like building density around the lake, because we know that shoreline development is one of the things that impacts water clarity and things like that. So then it came to understanding that the other teams had run into challenges with their data collection and so had data on about half of the lakes that we interviewed with lake or as lake organizations. And so we had to find other data that we could bring in to understand the impact of some of these context, con contextual things on the outcomes of in these lakes. And so that's kind of where, where the theory of uh, social ecological institutional fit was driving our questions. We wanted to understand um, what are the social conditions, what are the ecological conditions, and what are the rules that lead to um, success as defined by these lake organizations. So we asked them, what are your goals? And then how are uh, we found ways to assess how they were performing on those goals. So it ended up being a lot of integration of different data sets. We pulled from six different, different data sets to put this together, a lot of data transformation and cleaning uh, in order to be able to do that. And what we had planned to do was just talk to the other teams on the project and use that data. So it ended up being a little bit different. Yeah, and the question is, because design principles, as you said, were, were identified in a different kind of settings and to, to transfer them into these settings, to translate them, they need to be defined more clearly. And what I understand that it happened, it emerged, like the definitions emerged with their interviews, like as you went on taking interviews or was it like that, or you had some idea on your mind or you were already clear about how to translate the the theory or the questions that you're going to ask that are grounded in theory to the people that are on the ground. So how did you move from that? How did you do that transition? Yeah, so this was one of the exciting parts about this project was it was an opportunity to collect at the same time a large number of a mid-sized number, um, a large number to me, 31, 31 sets of observations about the design principles through primary data collection. So historically, the way that the design principles 
have um, been studied is through secondary case analysis. So going back and coding the cases uh, once they've already been published or already been collected. And this had been done, primary data collection had been done a couple of other times. Um, a group at FES was working on this. Hun Chen does this with fisheries in South Korea. So there's a couple of other places where this has been done, but most of the study of the institutional design principles in kind of a comparative study have been through secondary data analysis. So this was a really exciting opportunity to try to figure out how do you ask about some of these things and understand whether they are present uh, in, in an interview setting. And because I was doing this with Elise and Corinne, the two undergraduate field assistants who spent time with me in Wisconsin in 2019, because we were doing this for 31 organizations, we also had to think about how to collect this data in a one to two hour interview. And so I think there are challenges to using secondary data, like data completeness, or someone might talk about something, but have understood it differently in the way that they wrote it in the research than what you are, or if you're comparing two cases, they might operationalize an idea differently in those two cases. Um, so there are challenges with secondary data, but then there's also challenges with primary data around understanding whether you're getting a full perspective or you're only getting the people who are in the interview. Also understanding whether asking questions in such a way that you understand whether these design principles are in use without kind of priming the interviewee and essentially saying, do you have conflict resolution mechanisms? Yeah. If you say that, they say yes, because um, they want to, they think that's the right answer. But if you can ask questions around challenges or get them talking about stories and then ask about how conflicts were resolved, then you can start understanding whether these design principles are in place. Yeah, it sounds much more challenging than we than what I read from the paper. And I'm sure it would be very useful for the people who want to go ahead with the primary data collection, which I think is going to be more necessary when you move to different kinds of settings or maybe, for, for example, in, in your case, it was a different kind of, in terms of uh, livelihoods or the resource dependence, but it can be as people are moving out into the world into different kind of social ecological systems, this paper will actually guide them to how to go ahead with the with their data collection. Thank you, Dane, for explaining your experiences and explaining in detail what what how you went about working in the interdisciplinary team, which is another challenge, I suppose, because everybody comes with their own set of definitions and 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 their perspectives and one challenge is on the ground and talking to people. Another challenge is that everybody from the team should be on the same page or, or you are trying to, you know, I have come across this thing that you're trying to talk about something, but you may have the same meaning, but you have the different words to explain them and you end up, end up having some kind of, like, it takes a while before you try, before you understand each other's, if I say, language. So do you have this problem? with the different kind of different teams that you're working with? I think where the difference is more in what were the challenges around our data collection. So 
during the field season of 2019, there was a group of us who were living in northern Wisconsin and all working on collecting data for this project. And so where the limitations and where the challenges were around collecting the data differed by the different teams. So for example, with lake organizations, there has to be a lake organization on the lake. I have to be able to find their contact information. And then they, they have to be willing to speak with us in order for us to collect data about that organization. Uh, and so a lot of the challenges were about scheduling and reaching people and finding contact information. And then ultimately also managing a conversation. We were doing group interviews. And so having somewhere between three and five people in the room and trying to steer conversations in such a way that we ask about all of the design principles and all the other kind of questions we were trying to collect data on was often challenging. So those were the challenges we were dealing with. The electrofishing team, on the other hand, um, have a one-ton boat that they have to launch into the lakes uh, in order to do their data collection. And so if a lake has a road that's pretty inaccessible or has a ramp, boat launch ramp that's too steep or doesn't have one at all, or if a lake is too far away and it would cost a lot in gas to get there, those are, those are the challenges that are kind of coming up that they're coming up against. And there was a period of time when the circuits weren't working on the lake or on the boat. So it was out of commission for a week and they couldn't collect as much data. And so they had to rethink their data collection schedule. So it's a, it's a different set of challenges. And then if you're doing creel surveys and talking to the anglers themselves, if it's a rainy and blustery day, and that's the day that you're collecting data on a specific lake, there's probably not going to be people out there. And so you will get different information. And so they have to think about how to account for weather in their analysis and in their models. So all of, I guess, within this project, for me, it was less about communicating different terms. And it was more so about empathizing with the different challenges that people ran into. And when people are coming in tired and wet and exhausted after a day in the field, and we say, oh, we went to a coffee shop and coded our interviews um, that day, there can be, there was like some frustration against us, but then also they were also spending time with their best friends in the lake. And we were dealing with, or interviewing and working with people who maybe we're grumpy or in a bad mood or we're challenging. Uh, and so it was more interpersonal challenges where their challenges were more physical, but we kind of had to understand that from each other when uh, it came time at the end of the day to cook some dinner and relax on the couch. It looks like that you had an adventure of your own and it's kind of building up on a social capital of your own in this project. It, uh, you also mentioned, let's, before I go ahead, I should say that we are almost at the end and I'll not pick your brains with more questions. I'll just stick to one or two more. Okay. So one question is about, you talked about context, about uh, the social and ecological context here. And also you have mentioned in your paper. So can you talk in detail about how context plays an important role in these kind of settings and relate that context to a very interesting term that you've used in your paper is equifinality, which, and also if you can uh, describe more around equifinality. Yeah. yeah, so let me start there. Equifinality is this idea that 
there are multiple ways of reaching the same outcome. And what I mean by that is in order to have high water clarity, a lake might be a spring-fed lake that has not a lot of development or people around it and happens to have a lake organization. So the water clarity could largely be defined by the morphology of the lake. Whereas in another case, there could be a really clear lake because people have taken time to have limited shoreline development. They understand the value of the shoreline buffers. They are monitoring and keeping invasive species out. So there could be different approaches that lead to the same outcome, which I think is makes sense, yeah. right? It's a truism. Yeah. Like we all we all get that. And so equifinality is the idea that in your some analytical methods um, allow for equifinality in the outcome that they or in the, in the analysis that you do. So qualitative comparative analysis, QCA, which is what I use in this paper, is a way of looking at sets of conditions that lead to a specific outcome. And so in this case, it's a really nice way to consider different approaches that people can used to, to, to lead to the same outcome. So it's kind of a counterpoint to the term panaceas or one size fits all solutions. And it's also a really nice way if you include conditions that are social, ecological, and institutional, it's a really nice way to study social, ecological, institutional fit. Because you can look at how these different types of conditions and specific conditions lead to the various outcomes. Also, if I'm not wrong here, is this paper being considered by the local government there? Is that true? Or is this has, uh, what again. I was asking was, uh, is this paper has some, like, does it already have some audience in the government, in the councils there? Yeah. So this research we did with in close partnership with the Wisconsin mm. Department of Natural Resources, with the University of Wisconsin Extension Service, with Vilas County Lakes and Rivers Association. Um, so we've, we were talking about them in the design of this, in the testing of the protocol, and after we had the results. And then we've also spent time going back to like the Soil and Water Conservation Department meetings and sharing the results and speaking with them we've turned this into a popular science kind of article that compares lake organizations to cookouts and talks about how um, everybody kind of brings their own thing to the cookout. And it's useful to have variety in what people bring, but also it's helpful if everybody brings something. And so thinking about collective action in that way, and then introducing the design principles and using metaphors that are or examples that are relevant to lake organizations. So it has been shared with them. They've been excited about it, shared at the Wisconsin Lakes Convention as well. And a few projects have stemmed from this. So following this, I worked with a group to put together a 
refrigerator magnet that had kind of four tips on kind of responsible lake use. And uh, the lake organizations in the county where this research was done have, we've sent them a bunch of these magnets and they've been using them to welcome new members to the organization, as well as to welcome new people to the lake and to kind of open up a conversation that welcomes people and helps starting to have conversations about the norms. And then this is also fed a set of workshops, resilience and systems thinking workshops that we've been doing last summer. And we'll do a couple of more this spring and fall with lake organizations, watershed alliances and their partners across Wisconsin, Minnesota and Michigan which is aimed at building kind of networks of peers, peer networks, and promoting social learning in between these organizations. So we introduce concepts of systems and resilience thinking, but then rely on the expertise of the participants, because these are people who live and breathe lakes. I just happen to be an academic who studies them, to learn from each other and to share strategies and uh, ideas with each other through a set of scenario um, exercises that we do. So we introduce the scenario, they talk as a team and learn from each other, present it back to the, the broader group. And then we present a more extreme scenario that might require some sort of transformative action. And again, they do this and then share it back with the group. So I guess that's a long way of saying that this one project has set a lot of other projects in motion both from a research agenda perspective, but then also from a um, capacity building and kind of sharing within the, the late governance community perspective as well. Well, it is motivating to hear and it must be really motivating to you to see the things actually, you know, converting academic uh, or research work and seeing it, it on the ground actually working. I mean, you will see the results, hmm. you will see better results in years, but Definitely, it's uh, it's kind of our aim when you come to Commons Research that you see the work being translated on the ground and sounds that you're already there. And uh, yeah, that also answers me the next question that I was about to ask, which was apparently the... Can I... Yeah. One, one thing I have to yeah. say there is that I, I've been met with a lot of success in Wisconsin because there's a long history of collaboration between governments, academics, and local communities. Yeah. And so there's a history of trust and of sharing and collaborating that has kind of got us where the lakes are today. And that is facilitating this research that's like advancing where they could be tomorrow. So it's a long, long history of people who I kind of owe this opportunity. Definitely. To. I mean, you can't imagine uh, these kind of research these kind of successes on the ground if you don't have that kind of social capital that kind of trust and network in the community which includes all the stakeholders including academia and the people on the ground it's it's amazing to hear that and i'm glad that you shared your story or around the paper and it's it's quite motivating and also it kind of answers your last question uh, that i put to you about and your answer around how this work fits into the future in terms of it's it's amazing to see how different projects are rolling out of it so you're all and mm. is there 
like do you see this work fitting like you're going to do more work around it in your phd or it will be something else the thing that comes out of this for me is the idea that there is a governance system in place in Wisconsin, in the Midwest, in most places that are doing something around conservation. And that governance system may be polycentric. That governance system most definitely has power dynamics influencing and shaping the processes and outcomes. And so where I think my future research is leading is thinking about how these polycentric governance systems are shaped by power and kind of the history of how the systems emerged and have changed over time and how that is enabling or inhibiting them to adapt to future changes that are coming on the horizon. So I think, yes, it's, it's informing this. And I, I think it's going from, okay, there's a local level, but surrounding this local level, there's so much more happening. And in order to, for them to be, continue to be successful in the ways that they have, understanding what the history is of how the systems of support got there. And then also um, what power dynamics are shaping how the processes evolve over time. Thanks. It's a... Uh... It's amazing to hear all the story, how it connects to different things and to your PhD. And yeah, it already sounds like a lot of work, but we will be, I'm sure our listeners and uh, my, me, myself will be happy to know what more you're doing and to see more of your publications in the coming future. And with this, we come to the end of the interview. I have tried to cover some points around your paper, but if there is something else that have, uh, that you want to discuss or there's something that I've missed, you're most welcome to talk about it. Thank you, Sivi. I think this was a really awesome opportunity. There's nothing else I can think of right now, but really appreciate getting the opportunity to be on here and love the work that the Uncommon Podcast is doing. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Dane. And thank you for summarizing your very important research on institutional fit. I thank my listeners for tuning in. So you are listening to journal series of the In Common podcast. You can listen to this and other episodes of our podcast or visit our website, www.incommonpodcast.org.